0: Oh, what's good, everybody? Today is August thirteenth, twenty twenty-one, and this is Real Sankara Hours, your favorite, your favorite Black Marxist political podcast, where you know we do political commentary on, uh, you know, uh, all domestic, the fucked
1: up shit that's going on.
0: Yeah, domestic and global politics, and contextualize it from a different perspective. Um. So yeah, Real Sankara Hours. Um, and before I forget, to support this podcast um, and, and, and independent black media, subscribe uh, to our Patreon, patreon.com slash hours. $5 a month, you you, are, you become a patron, you get bonus episodes. Um, anywhere between $1 to $4 a month um, just means you're supporting the podcast, but you're not going to get bonus episodes. But if you want to make a one-time donation to our, to our PayPal, uh, we have a PayPal account. Paypal.me slash real hours. Again, PayPal.me slash real car hours. So that's how you can support this podcast. But um and then yeah, you can follow the podcast at Sankara Hours on Twitter to uh stay up to date with what we're doing. But um anyway, anyway with that aside, uh yeah, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, the census climate change um afghanistan a bunch of other stuff but that's definitely you know on our docket for today so yeah let's introduce ourselves i'm adam hudson follow me at adam hudson 5 on twitter or you don't have to follow me on twitter well we should idea. probably
1: at this point just drop that bit because <laughs> we, we keep we keep like yeah. backtracking um but yeah. yes this is peter M. Gunn, uh and yeah today is friday the 13th actually Uh, Mm. pretty which i don't remember the last one and i don't know there's definitely been spooky vibes going on i feel like for the past couple weeks maybe just because of the like the pandemic and everyone's still out and about but like everyone kind of knows that they shouldn't be so yeah Yeah. i don't know (laughs) this
0: this fucking delta variant i do actually do want to add since you brought up the pandemic uh um just a brief mention but i i do think it's important i've i've just been noticing a lot of uh um uh, anti-vax propaganda and um you know um where i live in contra Costa county in the bay area uh in this at san francisco, san francisco bay area um i think like between like i think around like 65 percent of the county is vaccinated um and in pittsburgh where i live it's we we have like the lowest vaccination rate in the county uh but i think it's increasing but i think um i mean i don't know what it is it's you know um it's hard for people to take time off work to get vaccinated and stuff like that so there's that like there's a bunch of other factors um but i have been noticing like a lot of just anti-vax propaganda and i just want to just counter that by saying uh it's important to get the vaccine because basically, I, I, I think there's some confusion about how vaccines work. Um, basically, the vaccine gives you the antibodies to fight the virus. Because at this point, COVID-19 is a, no, is a novel virus. Our immune systems are not don't have the natural defense mechanisms to fight it. And that's why it's been killing so many people and putting so many people in the hospital. So you know, our immune systems aren't at the point where we can naturally fight COVID-19. That's why getting the vaccine is important. And the more people get vaccinated, the better, because that mitigates um, the ability of the virus to keep spreading and mutating to, like, deadlier mutations. So that's why this Delta variant is so worrisome. But the vaccines that are out are effective against Delta in t- in terms of preventing hospitalization and death. The vaccines are effective against that. So Uh, I just want to put that out there that, yeah, getting vaccinated is important because the main thing what it does, it gives your immune system the instructions slash antibodies to fight the virus and it helps your immune system. So when you do get, you know, if and it also, you know, the chances of you getting infected by by COVID-19 with the virus are pretty low. But if you do get infected, the chances of you dying are slim to none and the chance of you going to the hospital are also pretty slim. There are breakthrough cases, but the breakthrough cases are not driving the surge of overall cases in the country. It's mostly people who are not vaccinated. And that's how the Delta variant was created, basically is because uh, a lot like, I mean, in India where a lot of people weren't vaccinated for like, you know, infrastructure reasons and, and things of that sort. And yeah. So this is a, this is a fucking global problem, man. God, the more the more people get vaccinated globally, the better, um, because yeah, I think definitely there's some real vaccine global apartheid, and so yeah, yeah. I just want to encourage people to get vaccinated and to be wary of anti-vax propaganda, because I've just been noticing a lot of stuff uh, spread, like anti-vax yeah. propaganda spread, and I'm just like, all right, guys, yeah, I
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little. You know, I try to be, I try not to be an asshole, but, you know, people might, I don't know, I don't think you really, like, can have legitimate concerns at this point. I mean, like, (laughs) there's nothing that the vaccine can do to you that's going to be worse than getting COVID or giving it to someone you care about. Um, And there's nothing that's in it that, like, you haven't already, they haven't already put into your body that's like a thousand times worse just by living in america so i don't really you know i i assume most people listening to this are vaccinated but i just think yeah like just fucking do it Um, yeah and (laughs) yeah yeah and uh
0: california um well san francisco and i think the rest of california like you know there's there's some vaccine mandate spreading i mean particularly in san francisco like the city is mandating like anywhere you go indoor is going to require proof of vaccination um i think it's it's going to be similar um i have to double check i believe it's the same for um the entire state of california and new york so um yeah if you, if if you haven't been vaccinated you're gonna to have to at some point um and yeah this is this is a this is a public health crisis the thing is look we're all in this together um Bottom line, we're all in this together. The more, more of us who get vaccinated. And also, like, yes, it's important to keep wearing masks as well. Until we can basically tame and defang the virus. That's really where we're at, is taming and defanging the virus. Now, if our government um, fucking responded better, we could have defeated the virus. But, you know, that didn't happen. And actually, that's a, That's actually a good segue mm-hmm. to um the the first another another thing we want to mention which is governor former New York governor oh, Cuomo yeah <laughs> who and the reason why i want to make that transition is because uh you know he himself is also responsible for <laughs> large numbers of deaths yep yeah covid related yeah, 19 covid 19 related deaths in new york but that's not uh why he resigned he resigned over um sexual um, sexual harassment uh multiple sexual harassment allegations against him uh very credible ones and
1: uh he resigned um yeah i mean i mean you know you fucked up when joe biden is like that guy's a creep he's gotta get out of here you know (laughs) um irony of ironies and i didn't really want to talk about it though i mean i think one of our first episodes back back when you know cuomo sexual was a thing which yeah is very strange i mean hilarious hilarious that you know people are saying that out loud now um and also because i don't know like the stories you hear from like the stories about him it really just seems like he's someone who just enjoys making people uh creeped out it's not like of any actual desire or his desire is just to make people uncomfortable um he's it's very strange but you know politicians are all weirdos but i do think it's worth bringing up only because like you know there was a point where his name was being thrown about seriously for like you know being nominee for president um and Mm -hmm. hopefully this means his political career is over i mean i'm sure He's just going to, you know, do the lobbying uh, media gig thing that every other disgraced governor or politician does, you know, but, you know, yes, hopefully he's, uh, his political career is over, um, and yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah, um, that's just, you know, all
0: we we wanted to say about Mm -hmm. Cuomo, but on to the other stuff, um, so... Um, actually, yeah, the first, first thing we wanted to talk about is, um, the, oh, and and just to, yeah, just to, I just, I just double checked. Yeah. So San Francisco, um, I think apparently it's the first major city to mandate, um, vaccination proofs for all indoor activities. So bars, restaurants, gyms. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yes. It's San Francisco. That's the first, um, it's not throughout the state of California yet. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're moving in that direction, but anyway, that's just to, you know, sort of clarify. Uh, but yeah, the census, um, so there's new data about the U S census that was just recently released, um, yesterday, basically. And so it found that <clears throat> for the first time ever, the white population, the non-Hispanic white population, um, declined uh since 2010 it fell it it dec- it decreased by 8.6% since 2010 which is the last time the census was taken um and so basically non-hispanic whites are 58% of america's population um, they can't break the
1: filibuster
0: <laughs> versus uh 63.7% of the population in 2010 um, and that, that, that's the first time that the non-Hispanic white population has fallen below 60% um, since the census began. And so there's been growth among other groups, uh, particularly the Latino population has grown by 23%. The Asian, Asian um, percent increased by over 35%, and the black population increased but by 5.6%. Uh, so, um, you know, people are saying that that, that basically it shows that the US population is more multiracial. I mean, which is true, yeah. So basically there there is like a I mean yeah. you know, the quote unquote browning of America, but um but yeah, like basically the the idea of America being this um white dominant white basically white majority country, still still white in terms of power but white majority country yeah like that's becoming i mean these census figures just show that the the country the united states is the demographics are are shifting um
1: yeah it's uh, i mean right and also yeah record number of people identified as multiracial uh So I think, yeah, I think like 33 million, which is like up a lot. And I think some of that is some of this is definitely just like they changed, you know, questions or people like started answering questions differently um, for for various reasons. I mean, I think some of it is also a demographic shift. But yeah, I I mean, yeah, 2042 is always held up as as the year. Um, And. You know, it is interesting question because, you know, the United States was founded and intended to be a white country, you know, and that's why they only allowed immigration from Europe because it, mm-hmm. you know, was carrying out a project of white civilization. And so, you know, the, the, they they saw it as necessary for having a white settler garrison majority population, um. You know, other countries around in this hemisphere, except Canada, I guess, uh, are, you know, don't necessarily have that that same kind of goal. I mean, Argentina still, of course, but, you know, there it's pos- it's possible that like, you know, just the extreme Anglo whiteness of the United States as a definitive national characteristic may be fading. Um, at Though at the same time, I mean, this is the delicate dance of America is like, yeah, we, you know, I've been thinking about like uh, the labor shortage, as it's called, uh, though it is kind of like almost a low key strike um, in the service industry and how, yeah, on some, I, I foresee like, you know, new pushes for immigration coming where, you know, yeah, people travel halfway across the world to work at a McDonald's here. But, you know, then at the same time, like, are we going to allow this to be a white, to, yeah, become not a white country and, you know, deport, like that's what all the deportations and stuff are about, right? Mm -hmm. Is keeping America a white country. So it is a contradiction. Um, But I think that no matter how, like sort of the official demographics breakdown, like it's still a white supremacist power structure. Right. And, uh, you know, interests of capital and whites are always going to be, you know, uh, white power dominant. And, uh, you know, they're not like white minority rule is nothing new for these people. So they'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Like, so, um, uh, so I'll, I'm, I'm going to mention like a few figures. So I'm looking at the census uh, press release, and it kind of digs into the details. So basically, um, I mean, the white population is still the largest uh, racial ethnic group. So basically, um, 204.3 million identify as white alone. Um, and then, so yeah, multi-racial, the multiracial population, you're right, Peter, did increase. So now it's at 33 33.8 million people in 2020, uh, versus 9 million in 2010, but yeah, that could be just like, you know, people, the, the change in questions, um, uh, and then, so, um, for the black population, to so the black slash African-American population is 46.9 million, so that's the second largest racial group, um, and then also, like, uh, I've been looking at other, um, Uh, uh, demographics particularly on the on the black population in the united states um and like i was telling you peter before we recorded the the narrative of black america is changing because um it's not just um african americans in a sense of like african americans like those of us who are descendants of enslaved africans who were brought to the united states and our ancestors being the victims of the victims and survivors of U.S. chattel slavery. It's, it's not just, you know, those kinds of black people with, with that kind of long history here in the U.S. You you have um, uh, uh, mixed not just mixed race black people, more black immigrants, like black people from the Caribbean, African immigrants. So the narrative of, of what it means to be black in the United States um, is changing. So I, I've been noticing, um, Pew Research did some uh, digging on this, that, uh, there there are more different types of black people uh, in the United States like that that has grown so yeah so basically the black population here in the U.S. as of twenty twenty is forty six point nine million so basically forty seven million um, and then Asian alone twenty four million uh, American Indian or an Alaska Native nine point seven and Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander one point six million and then the Latino population sixty two point one million. So um, I just wanted to, like kind of give give those numbers, but yeah, my my sort of my my thoughts are just re- when I was reading this, um, yeah, I don't think anything fundamentally is going to change. I think what's going to happen though is, um, I think the def well maybe not on the sense as the definition of whiteness may not change, but I do I do think that like in terms of American whiteness as a construct, that's going to look different in the sense that uh some quote unquote people of color are going to be able to assimilate into american whiteness uh within a generation and so like you know maybe now they're not seen as white but like within a generation they'll be seen as white and i i think like like my my bet is that i think a lot of um latinos like lighter skinned mestizo latinos and white latinos are going to assimilate into american whiteness within a generation so the and meanwhile like okay like dark like darker skinned latinos like aren't going to have that option definitely indigenous and black latinos are not going to have that option and then fundamentally in terms of the white power structure and social racial and social order in the in the US it's still going to remain the same but um i wanted to i wanted to bring that up because like here in the US the term latino is racialized but it's not a racial category in the sense that like it's not based on you know race or skin color because like you know there are white latinos there are white jewish latinos there are asian latinos there are indigenous latinos there are black latinos there are mixed race. so like the but it the term gets racialized here in the us but I, um but i think like with the the consciousness of the afro-latino movement here like it's it's been i think causing more people to reassess that category but yeah like from what i've from what i understand latino is for the most part like a broad cultural and pan ethno-linguistic identity um so it's it's not like a category based on like race or skin color so and the reason why i bring it up is because uh you know if you do um I don't want to go through the whole history of the Costa system, but if you look up the history of the Costa system in Latin America during the colonial period, this stuff would make a lot of sense. But I think like, you know, Latinos were lighter skinned, mestizo and white Latinos over time will be able to assimilate into American whiteness. And I, I think that's important to bring up because like uh um because I was doing some digging about like, you know, let Latinos for Trump and one thing if if you One thing to point out is that a lot of the Latinos who supported Trump were like um, basically U.S. born and pretty much very much assimilated into the United States. And so there's a division between like, oh, you know, we came here legally, but those people came here illegally. So I think, um, you know, when it comes to race and even how we define people of color which is a term that I, I think is, is losing salience. But I think it's losing salience, honestly, just for the reason of like the demographic changes in this country. So, um, yeah, like I agree, like the ruling class is not yeah. opposed to white minority rule. The the power structure is not going to change. But I just, just want to add that I think like some people who are quote unquote people of color considered quote unquote people of color will be able to assimilate into whiteness Um just you know uh within like a within like a generation um similar to like you know i mean not too different than like how irish and italian immigrants were able yeah, to yeah I, into... I mean
1: i don't know obviously we'll find out can't predict the future though yeah i mean a lot of that and especially like for eastern europeans um there was yeah they were not considered white when they came here and they were, you know, basically brought here as proletarian labor. Right. And, and, you know, after they had a little too much class consciousness, As it's in the, you know, 1890s, early 20th century, there was a push, yeah, to Americanize them, to inculcate them with like a petty bourgeois ideology, which goes hand in hand with making someone white.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: that's really, I mean, that's, you know, those two... I mean, whiteness is like property holding, Um, though those two are seen as sort of inevitably linked. And so, you know, racialization is a means of class stratification. And so that's, you know, those are going to be the questions um, that are going to determine, you know, what the new uh, 21st century, you know, racial taxonomy. Oh, God, what a terrible word to describe humans taxonomy, but um oh, yeah <laughs> yeah and the, i mean they're gonna come up with something you know yeah. don't worry mm-hmm. but uh, yeah the 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 power
0: structure the white power the yes. white capitalist colonial power structure fundamentally is not going to change it's just yeah it'd be a little more quote-unquote diversity but um black people i black people indigenous people in this country and on this hemisphere are going to rem- continue to remain at the bottom um but actually, uh that'll probably be a good transition to um <laughs> uh the the black American heritage flag. Uh a more like kind of positive transition because I thought this this is pretty cool. Um <clears throat> so somebody on Twitter uh um kind of raised awareness of, of this flag that was designed in nineteen sixty seven. It's called the Black American Heritage Flag or the African American Heritage Flag. It was designed in 1967, and basically, um, it's essentially like a heritage flag to represent the cultural heritage of African Americans, black Americans. And uh, this is a podcast, like, we don't really have, like, the luxury of visuals, but the way I can describe it is is, it's, basically, so the flag design is you have, like, a big, massive black stripe going down the middle, and then the rest of, of the flag is red and then in the middle of the flag you you have uh, gold like so a gold wreath and then a gold sword in the middle um, it was designed by one of the main designers was Melvin Charles who passed away sadly in ni- in uh, 2017 and he he, just, he explained the meaning so basically the red on the flag uh, signifies the blood that african americans shed for for freedom and human rights the black represents pride in black skin and black color and black people and then so there's the gold so there's a gold like uh, fig wreath which is a symbol of uh, peace and prosperity but apparently the fig is uh has some african symbolism because the figs are found in africa and then there's a, a sword in the middle um like a blunted sword to till the till the field but it also i think ties into the liberation struggle. And the way the sword is designed, apparently there's a a Moroccan, um, Moroccan, North African um, inspiration behind it. So it's a very beautiful flag. Yeah. Yeah. It looks very similar. It it looks very similar to the Angolan flag. I swear. They look Mm -hmm. similar color scheme. The Angolan flag has a machete, though, which is also fucking killer. Um Mm -hmm. But like the colors are very similar. But what I like about this flag is that, I mean, aside from like how just be- how beautiful it looks, aesthetically, aesthetically beautiful it is. Um, it's totally original, and it doesn't mimic the
1: U.S. flag uh, aesthetic at all, um, which versus- is good because it's a. I'm sorry, the stars and stripes is a shitty ass flag. I mean. <laughs> Everyone knows that it's it's a dumb it's terrible as far as flags go. So yeah, I had never seen it before. I mean, I had no problem with the red, black, and green, but yeah, this one looks fucking sick. Um,
0: yeah, the red, black, and green—that's more of like the the unifier, like the Pan African colors, so it represents all people of African descent. I I I'm, I'm repping both flags. The yeah. R B G the the original red, black, and green by the unia in 1920 that original rbg because like the colors of rbg have kind of been transposed elsewhere so normally like the the african-american flag that normally gets flown is the one with the star of the u.s flag stars and stripes but with the rbg super rbg color superimposed so rather than red uh red white and blue is red black and green with american stars and stripes and all that so that one was designed by um um, An African American artist, and the intention was to show the dual consciousness. the The idea of like the dual consciousness that African Americans have. That going back to Du Bois' idea, which is that like, you know, we're we're black, but we're also uh, we're in America, and the American identity is the one oppressing our black identity. So there's a, there's a dual consciousness. Um, but like that flag has, you know, definitely been appropriated by more reactionary elements, particularly the AOS FBA crowd who you know, using, basically using US flag iconography and aesthetics to double down on basically uh, US nativism and xenophobia, particularly and also xenophobia against black immigrants and uh, anti pan-Africanism, so basically like using the struggle of African Americans to double down on embracing american nationalism and in american jingoism and so it's refreshing to see this flag be uh be yeah kind of you know amped up and wrapped and kind of re- uh resurrected so to speak because i think yeah like that the black american heritage flag designed by Mel- melvin charles i think that really represents us like when he was explaining all the the aesthetics and the meaning i was like okay yeah this really represents african-americans new africans black americans this really that yeah. flag really represents us and plus it's a fucking sword it's cool I'm like, <laughs> it's just nice it it's just like oh our flag has a sword yes and then it represents like the you know how it represents our liberation struggle and i'm thinking, like it that that's us like we have a liberation struggle like and if you put it I think put the Black American Heritage flag next to the Angolan flag, the Mozambican flag, the Kenyan flag. They all look. It's just like. They just go so well together. Um, The Kenyan flag has the spears. The Mozambique flag has a Kalashnikov and AK 47. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a flag, or at least a flag more worth dying for than the Stars and Stripes, which. Like, I, as, is always, I mean, you know, some people, you know, the anarchist types are like, yeah, flags are stupid. Why are you dying for a flag? And it's like, well, you know, okay, whatever. I mean, the American (laughs) flag is especially bad and not something that I could ever have imagined myself wanting to die for. Um, But, you know, a flag, like, can, a good flag inspires people and, you know, arouses hopes and desires for a nation and you know this flag like when i saw it it definitely does that more so and so i hope that you know i think that like a real kind of you know national identity or national consciousness needs to be you know pushed further and i think this is a good Mm -hmm. way to promote that so yeah yeah excellent flag um I guess
0: uh, we can we can transition to talking about foreign policy. Um, speaking of like why it's a yeah. bad idea to die for <laughs> U.S. flag. Um I guess, Peter, do you want to talk about Cuba, and then we can talk about Afghanistan? Because
1: um, yes, well, yeah, I just you know been trying to keep an update over you know whatever dumb shit America is trying to do, um, and you know I think we mentioned that they've been. Placing new sanctions on, I think, like the, you know, police chief and I think, you know, the head of, I guess, basically Cuban special forces or whatever. um, You know, all pretty par for the course, but there's, you know, since it's Cuba, America's got to do something stupid. uh, And it does seem that, you know, what they're going all in on is we're going to bring the internet. It's very, it's very honestly outdated thinking. I'm a little bit surprised. Because this is all very, like, 2009, uh, Mm kind of, yeah, like, you know, Samantha Power type uh, soft power stuff or whatever, where it's like, yeah, the internet just liberates people. Uh, And if we just give (laughs) Cubans the internet, so, but it's, but, of course, how are you going to do that? You can't just roll into a country and, like, force that to put down, you know, the internet is run through cables, like fiber optic cables on the ocean floor like that's how like that is the actual you know footprint of the internet that's how it functions and so you know obviously he was not going to let america do that so i guess because rubio uh you know the adderall uh (laughs) the adderall (laughs) senator in chief uh sorry i'm still working on a good nickname for him um yeah he promoted this amendment uh, that yeah is pushing for, uh, the yes bringing the internet to Cubans, uh, so they can get all the good American propaganda through weather balloons. I mm-hmm. guess they're just gonna have like, like weather balloons with Wi-Fi, and they're just gonna, I guess, float them out from Guantanamo, and you know, I guess the Cuban government wouldn't dare shoot them down because, then they'll deny, then they're denying the internet. I. I it really blows my mind that that they're actually going I really don't know if they're actually going to try this but Biden has signaled like he's committed to that to like bringing the internet to Cuba. I mean Cuba already has the internet, but it's not mm-hmm. like it's not very good, you know, cuz they've been isolated and they're not yeah. uh, plugged into the global network, you know. They're not going to ru- China's not going to run a cable all the way, you know literally around the world um right yeah so you know i i mean i don't know um but the but yeah in the but in his statement there was another thing that i found very interesting at the end of marco rubio's he wrote it's basically a letter to anthony Blinken, the secretary of state and he says uh lastly i urge you to clearly and publicly communicate that it will be the policy of the United States to regard the weaponization of mass migration by the Cuban regime as a hostile act against our national security, which would be met with a swift and appropriate response. No. And that, and that's a little, for, I mean, that's a little scary because you're yeah. not entirely sure what that's supposed to mean, especially since yeah, Cuba was the one place where, you know, immigration laws, I mean, there weren't really ones, um, There was the wet foot, dry foot policy, which basically said that, like, uh, if you made it to the, like, they would turn you away on the water. But if you made it to American shores, then they would accept you. But I think Trump got rid of that. And there have been, you know, periodic, like, mass, like, migrations, like, particularly the Mariel boat lift in the 80s, uh, which was, which I mean, maybe that's what he's referring to, because it was. You know, yeah, this pressure to, like, oh, yeah, allow refugees. And so what Castro did was he just basically emptied all the prisons uh, and put them on a boat and sent them to Miami. And so, yeah, 125,000 people showed up and (laughs) they had no idea what to do with them. Um, And maybe that's what he's referring to. But it is very interesting that, one, that a government could weaponize mass migration. Uh, that, like, that, you know, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, and secondly, that, like, the you know, if there's a flood of, in- yeah, I mean, part of, part of like, the American imperialist narrative is that, yes, you know, we will take the refugees because we are so accepting. And so, you know, for this, uh, you know, push to, quote, unquote, liberate Cuba and bring democracy to it, Uh, that is, that's a very interesting, uh, (laughs) clause to put, you know, in this letter. Uh, but overall, I don't know how serious this stuff is in the sense that I don't think they really want the, you know, communist party of Cuba to fall because then they would have like (laughs) a whole lot of responsibility. I mean, that's the typical thing you want. They just want it to stay. They want it to stay there and just be as shitty as possible but they don't necessarily want it to actually fall because you know then that ends the revenue stream and the political capital and all that stuff from prolonging the uh the siege and stuff so it's uh yeah it's hard to say but one thing i also do want to say is that well two things i guess one is biden is also mentioning wants to support cuban dissidents and uh whatever that means but you know if you're they they like people like to be slick and but if you're like self-identified as a cuban dissident but you know you're also a leftist like shut up basically uh you're a tool of u.s imperialism and i'm not really i don't care if that makes me a dumb tanky or whatever but We're not we're not we're not getting we're not going down that rabbit hole. We're not getting bogged down in that shit. I don't want to hear, you know, your criticisms from the left of, you know, the Cuban government, because honestly, I don't think anybody really has any idea of what, you know, how the correct form of governance in what is the most punitive uh, embargo slash siege slash blockade uh, regime in the world like no country is punished like that like cuba is over this stuff. right um yeah and so and you know that relates to the second thing which is that and I, especially in the democratic party like it is pure fucking cowardice the way that uh they say oh well you know we also we can't also have to go hard in on cuba because uh you know miami uh dem Miami Cubans, that's what they want. And, you know, we we want to win Florida, don't you? Um, and I think it needs to be pointed out that actually, like, I like among the actual voting populace, I mean, obviously there are some extreme right wing people, but, you know, among the actual like voting populace in Cuba, uh, like lifting the embargo is actually a pretty popular thing. Uh, Because, you know, surprise, surprise, people don't want their family members to, you know, starve or be without insulin, right? Uh, So the idea that, like, it's just political, they would alienate, like, what you would be alienating is, you know, the business, you know, capital interests that operate out of Miami, but not the actual voting populace, necessarily. And so the idea, because this whole thing is just like oh well the embargo is just going to be there forever um and you know we can't we like i think it is our duty in america to you know push for that to not be the case and you know like lay that out and i think that's part of it is actually like no like there is support for getting rid of it nobody no actual regular people benefit from this um it's all just a bunch of fucking uh, cowards, status seeking cowards, you know, which is ninety nine point nine percent of all politicians in America. Uh, so, you know, those are I guess those are the last two things I wanted to say about Cuba.
0: Okay, yeah. And, uh, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll add before we uh, switch to Afghanistan, is um, like I said before, in the in a previous in the previous episode where we talked about Cuba. Um if you live in the United States and you pay taxes to the US government, your primary primary responsibility is to focus on ending the blockade on Cuba. That's it. I mean, whatever criticisms people have of the Cuban government, like um that's secondary to the blockade in my opinion. If especially if you live in especially if you live in the united states and pay taxes to pay taxes to the u.s government um so and also the u.s cannot be preaching like quote-unquote good governance to other countries like if you look at the i mean the january 6th like (laughs) capitol hill riot just like that negates any kind of uh claim to moral superiority when it comes to democracy that, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, the U.S. obviously never was a true democracy and did never really have that kind of moral credibility, but, like, I mean, God, if there's any, like, you know, like, that event should make it, like, crystal clear to, like, even, like, the most basic of liberals that the U.S. really has, like, no, um, (laughs) moral credibility to lecture other countries about democracy, rule of law, and all that shit, so... I mean, yeah, like you know. Anyway, uh, switching to Afghanistan, um, yeah, things are looking pretty. I mean, grim. So basically, you know, the U.S. Um, um, has not well, well. Basically, okay. So let me let me backtrack. So Biden, Joe, uh, President Joe Biden announced uh, his plan to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, and this is like a pretty substantial withdrawal so like troops are being withdrawn including u.s military contractors so private military contractors are being withdrawn um uh for the most part um uh i think uh you know there's still gonna be i'm pretty sure there's still gonna be some like private contractors there um but like it's a pretty substantial withdrawal so um basically the taliban
1: recently has been <laughs> basically taking over after yeah yeah with the quickness i mean they they're, they they're quick, not wasting yeah. any time
0: yeah and so um it's getting it's getting so intense that uh um basically even the the u.s is evacuating it's trying to evacuate a staff from the embassy um also the u.s military uh vacated it's uh main air base in bagram uh which is pretty significant and also as somebody who's been to guantanamo bagram was also uh was also a detention center and but it was closed in 2014 so a detention center very similar to guantanamo so it was like basically bagram was like guantanamo in afghanistan so the detention center was closed in 2014 and um just recently like last month basically the US military left its main air base uh, at Bagram. so yeah, like I said, it's a pretty substantial withdrawal. and um, and right now like the US is sending troops to um, to evacuate uh, its embassy staff uh, to basically yeah. withdraw the embassy staff so, Um, and yeah, there are U.S. officials warning of, um, the collapse of the Afghan capital coming sooner rather rather than, like, sooner than expected. So, um, I mean, this, I think this raises a question of, like, well, I mean, something that's been obvious among critics of the U.S. war on terror, especially in Afghanistan, is that, like, this 20-year war in Afghanistan, like, it, it was, like, just... I mean, aside from uh, the, you know, the, the human element, which is the, the deaths of innocent people in Afghanistan. Yeah. Like, the uh, yeah. Thousands of de- thousands dead people. Upon thousands upon Right. Yeah. And it's like, all for, for what? Like, I
1: mean, it, it's just, it just shows like, uh. Well, it so, show, ju- it shows that, you know, America learned the lesson literally every other empire in the, in history <laughs> learned, which is that you can't conquer Afghanistan. Right. Uh yeah, <laughs> you you yeah. can't. I'm sorry. Can't. Uh, we I mean there there's still like, you know, among like the conventional centrist wisdom or whatever that like, no, Afghanistan was the good war and we might have been able to win if we hadn't done Iraq. Uh I mean Oh, I Yeah, that. this like that's stupid for two things. One, uh, you know, Iraq was always the point uh but two like we didn't know we we should not have invaded Afghanistan the idea that um you needed to launch a full-scale invasion of a country to look for like 10 people uh it could only be sold to admittedly a traumatized populace but a traumatized and incredibly uh solipsistic and racist populist who's just like oh yeah no you know raised on fucking westerns who are like yeah no that makes sense uh we're gonna smoke them out uh but you know really they just packed up and you know just hung out in pakistan and were basically protected by the isi Uh, pakistani Mm -hmm. intelligence until you know they worked out a deal to give him up and i mean yeah like (laughs) like the whole idea like oh we we were just searching for bin laden for 10 years and just you know just couldn't fucking find him it's like you know people generally knew where he was but yeah pakistan wasn't gonna let us just roll in and get him um immediately and uh you know i mean what when, when that did happen it was basically just like a house you know a, a house raid like they just broke into the into the guy's house and shot him in his sleep right um right not, yeah Yeah. yeah u.s navy seals
0: and the yeah. CIA, and also like that bin laden raid because previously you know navy seals delta force like special operations forces were always like super secretive and like you know they are op- people didn't know about their operations except for like right. a small group of people but since like the mid raid like now like um they're like hollywood heroes and shit like guys like you know john krasinski you're like yes i'm an
1: operator yeah i'm fucking cia like big gruff mcgruff and i'm just gonna yeah Bleh. yeah yeah, you know, yeah jim from the office yeah yeah offers. right they're they're hanging out on toby keith's tour bus and everything and yeah navy right. seals became celebrities even though they're all like just the most psychotic people you can imagine because they do all the empire's dirty work and i mean
0: yeah like the like the the, the really really dirty shit like that like okay because people talk you know we th- like the u.s military like people think of like oh like my son served in the army it's like yeah well your son's probably like doing like fucking desk work yeah or well
1: shit. like yeah
0: but like they like a lot of like the the <laughs> dirtiest of dirty work yeah is done by like navy seals delta force like special operations forces like this because like yeah be- and that's the reason why like having those kinds of units that are secretive because you know something goes wrong or or if there's like you know some obvious fucking human rights abuse uh yeah it's going to be layers of secrecy to protect that shit so yeah the guys who do that stuff um
1: you know do some of the most horrendous stuff on
0: behalf of the u.s empire
1: yeah and they're also just you know sadistic in general i mean afghanistan and iraq uh you know like war some of the war crimes were you know planned out but also people would just you know for fun, go around and, you know, kill civilians because it's an occupying Mm -hmm. army. And, you know, obviously we're not going to, like, be pro-Taliban or whatever, but, uh, like, they were the, you know, recognized government before the invasion, and, like, the government that was, you know, in Afghanistan was propped up by the American military. Like, Hamid Karzai was a puppet. Like, that's not... (laughs) The, the, you don't it's not that doesn't defend the taliban to say that so you know there are pe- oh, yeah. there are people yeah. who you know w- are fine with that or at least at least at least like they'll take anything other than you know being occupied by the united states because no absolutely no country wants to be occupied uh yeah yeah and it's
0: just it also i mean t- to the point of like yeah the 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 current Afghan government, yeah, is basically propped up by the U.S. And so they can't really, like, I think what this this also shows, like, they can't really kind of stand up on their own without the U.S. propping them up. And so now with the U.S. military leaving um, after 20 fucking years, um, yeah, the Taliban is able to take over so swiftly because... I mean yeah like again not this is not we're not defending the Taliban here but part of the reason why you know they they have strength is because of the the US war and occupation and like the you know the hatred of the Afghan yeah. government like that's that's, that's a it, major
1: reason why the Taliban has like strength
0: so and and, all, um, and also
1: it's worth pointing out that like the people we did partner with are power, like we're not really that much better and you know yeah. Uh, like, opium production, actually, you know, the Taliban cracked down on it, and then once we got in there, it just skyrocketed, and, you know, surprise, surprise, that correlates to, uh, you know, an opium oh. crisis. Oh, oh, and also, I mean, this this is what I wanted to
0: mention, like, uh, I think Har- Hamid Karzai's, uh, I think it was bro- uh, brother, one of his close relatives was on a CIA payroll, and he was also, like, a narco-trafficker. <laughs> yeah. So... So, you know so yeah i i believe is i believe is uh cars i believe it was karzai's brother if i understand correctly if not his brother some someone definitely was like closely blood related to uh karzai so yeah like um i mean this I, it, yeah afghanistan being like the quote unquote good war like no it wasn't the good war it was just like you know basically a war that the us waged because it wanted immediate revenge for nine eleven and it it collectively blamed the entire country of Afghanistan for 9/11 even though like actually right after 9/11 the Taliban offered to like you know give up bin laden like, yeah they,
1: yeah they, they they were like we don't care i mean yes the, yeah the, they, didn't, the, they didn't care the <laughs> way it was sold uh to to Americans was like no man the you know they're be protecting bin laden and al qaeda it's like they they didn't really necessarily even know where he was um you know they didn't really they weren't they weren't gonna like die for him but uh you know that wasn't the point there was nothing that the Taliban at the time could have done um and you know we we did it because we wanted to it was we didn't have to do it at all and it didn't fucking work anyway right uh yeah but it was yeah it was you know I think uh, it was, you know, bloodlust plus imperial hubris to really think you could invade and conquer Afghanistan. Guys, like, yeah. I am i can't stress this enough. Every single person who studies military history, that's, like, one of the top lessons. And everyone in the U.S. military, like, knows that. But they had yeah. all convinced themselves that, you know, we're special. Um, and also, yeah, this is, like, the rise of the neoconservative, you know, we're going to nation build and mold these nations in our image and, you know, make this beautiful flowering democracy or whatever that, you know, that impulse as opposed to, you know, just get the oil and get out um, mentality. Like that is also part of, you know, why there was such an extended mission, you know? And Mm -hmm. so like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. I I mean, what I mean, barring something because now they're now like sort of the, the last-ditch effort is, like, no, we got to get the regional players involved. Let's get, like, yeah, Turkey and our... I don't know, like, you know, India and China and everyone to, like, get, you know... And America will lead from behind. It's, like... I mean, I think, like, the actual neighbors of Afghanistan, you know, people who have, like, an actual regional interest, like, there will be some cooperation with, you know, whatever government ends up taking charge. I mean... I think I think China already hosted like a Taliban delegation Um, and, uh, you know, that that will happen. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the U. and this I mean, this was going to happen eventually. And, you know, the U.S. is looking to get out of the Middle East, quote unquote, or at least have a light footprint, quote unquote, um so that they can you know focus more on other stuff you know gear up for whatever dumb shit they're gonna try and do to china um but you know at at, even now there's still idiots like in the press like i think the entire the washington post editorial board it's no you we don't cut and run we don't and it's like how do you guys still think like this Right,
0: I don't. Um, speak. Yeah, and actually, uh, since you mentioned neoconservatives, I don't know if this man was a ideological neoconservative, but John Rizzo, he was a, an attorney and he was a lawyer for the CIA. Um, he died recently, a couple of, like last week. Um, and for those who, who don't know, John Rizzo was a CIA lawyer who sanctioned waterboarding. Um, so yeah, he basically provided legal justification for waterboarding and torture by the CIA. Um, particularly by uh, um, detainees at cia black sites secret prisons around the globe and so he was a lawyer who sanctioned uh, waterboarding and other forms of torture um he died recently at age 73 um and yeah like this uh the the war on terror framework um it seems to be reaching like a sort of sunset in a way but I don't think like the 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 apparatus that was built around it is not going away but like the kind of ideological framework seems to be like yeah. setting um and I think like that's part of the reason why there is a withdrawal from Afghanistan but at the same time like those drones those drones are not going anywhere so yeah no. we're, we're talking about light footprint there's still going to be like drone strikes and stuff like that so that but um the CIA, I was just reading, like they're kind of scrambling, like you know, where to put their their drone base, <laughs> but and, and Biden's trying to figure out, like you know, the sort of the kinks of uh, you know authorizing specific strikes and stuff like that. So when it comes to like the tar- the global targeted killing program, drone strikes, like that's that is not going anywhere. Um, that got permanently, that basically got institutionalized by former President Barack Obama. So, you know, there's still going to be that institutionalized perpetual war infrastructure in place. But yeah, like Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. And so even the U.S. empire is like, OK, yeah, we can't do this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, it, you know, the post 9-11 hubris that the U.S. could go in Afghanistan, go to Afghanistan and, you know, save Afghan women and spread democracy. It was all fucking bullshit all of it it was all just total horseshit and i remember like you know i don't want to go too far down memory lane but you know being at stanford and and taking ir classes like hearing people talk about like the war in afghanistan it's like the good war and we're going to save the people And it's like look at it now like the u.s just withdrew you know didn't accomplish shit Except just killing. Well lots Yeah.
1: Of what did it accomplish? And yeah. Like, well, it like it, it. It did accomplish.
0: Aside from what? Like, aside from like yeah, like human misery it accomplished. But aside yeah. from that, like you know their whole plans of like we're gonna spread democracy and like save Afghan women. Yeah. Like, well, look at what what the. F-
1: <laughs> I mean, just yeah, the the fucking hubristic mindset of all that. I is- I mean I mean like actually and of course Afghanistan isn't even in the Middle East, so they had to come up with a concept called the Greater Middle East. To like justify, (laughs) you know, the whole the whole mission, which also somehow included Pakistan. Uh, I mean, the one thing they did accomplish was testing out, you know, and perfecting counterinsurgency techniques that, you know, now can very easily be brought home should anyone get any ideas uh, over here or you know shared with uh security apparatuses of our favorite client states around the world you know so yeah we got some we got to have some good uh you know real world testing for some of this stuff um and that really you know that was more what the war is about because i think everyone figured out pretty quickly yeah you're not winning this thing um in the sense of like it's conquered and there's no more military resistance um you know, like (laughs) that, that's not going to happen. Uh, that was not going to happen. I mean, most, most people, most troops there like figured that out pretty quickly. Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, you know, this, this was inevitably going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I will give Biden credit for just like doing it now, um, as opposed to dragging it out for another 10 years or whatever. Uh, cause he didn't have to do this, but I think, I think what they realized, you know, that like, there still hasn't been like an official kind of Biden foreign policy doctrine. Cause a lot of it is just, you know, cleaning up after Trump. Um, and so I think this is them still getting all their ducks in a row so that they can come out with whatever new dumb shit, you know, to keep the, to try and keep the empire going, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs>
0: yeah and and uh to transition to our, our you know to close this episode out um you know we're talking about the u.s military and u.s empire one thing to ke- keep in mind is that it's one one of the largest it is. carbon car it's the largest emitter of carbon on the fucking planet <laughs> and that's gonna yeah transition right easily into the this latest um IPCC report on uh, climate change. So basically, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, so the IPCC. Um, so they have a full report that's nearly four thousand pages long, and basically, I mean, it's a lot of um, stuff that's been reported about it. I've been like kind of just focusing on, on some like key specific findings, but overall, like it, it shows that basically, well climate change is here uh, basically that human activity has warmed the atmosphere ocean and land so it's unequivocal at this point um and the the last decade is um um most likely warmer than any period um within the past 125,000 years um yeah so human human induced climate change is already affecting like weather and climate extremes in every part across the globe um so yeah there's wildfires in siberia um and, and so um, and they the issue of warning that um that basically global warming of 1.5 degrees celsius and 2 degrees celsius will be exceeded during the 21st century during this century the 21st century unless deep reductions in carbon dioxide uh occur I... within the coming decade coming decades i i I heard
1: that like basically we're locked into 1.5
0: yeah like i've heard all kinds of different kind of estimates but another thing that's pointed out that like rich people in every country are overwhelmingly more responsible for global heating than the poor particularly with like suvs and um, meat eating and other like kind of high carbon you know based like
1: things for uh yeah Quote, unquote, and, and also just growth. flying everywhere um, right
0: flying <laughs> lots of flying um, Also like uh, I think there's a handful of corporations that are responsible for like 70% of the carbon emissions if I remember correctly um, so um, I mean this kind of proves anybody who's been observing climate change like a lot of stuff is pretty obvious. Um, I did want to mention a piece of good news though as it relates to climate change. So I remember this when I was younger, you probably remember it, Peter, the hole in the ozone layer, right? Uh, apparently that's been repaired. Yeah. I've heard the, that. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't repaired because of re- a, a reduction in air pollution, but apparently it was repaired by, uh, I think, a, a polar vortex or something like that. Um, um, that, yes, yeah, actually closing due to a polar vortex and, uh, and it's not expected that the same conditions will occur. So hopefully there won't be any other large ozone layers. So um, that's some good news as it relates to climate change. That like basically like we can actually do something. Um, and But I mean basically it's this going to entail like curbing the activities of like the richest and wealthiest people on the fucking planet. And the largest corporations and, and bringing them in which yeah yeah this point entail like you know real revolutionary change this basically like you know at this point i don't think people should be afraid of the word revolution because if, if we're trying to you know um save the you know if we're concerned about the long-term survival of, of humans and hu- basically human civilization um yeah revolution has to
1: be on the table <laughs> um uh yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, right. Be- no. Because I- the way I think about it is that. Yeah. I mean, yes. Like the people who live in the McMansions and coal or whatever, and with their gigantic trucks, man, trucks are really getting too big. Something does have to be oh, done about that. Wait. Way too. far but, I-,
0: I think I read. I think I read somewhere <laughs> that, like a lot of like new trucks and SUVs are as big as like World War II tanks.
1: Yeah. Right. There. It's it's a little ridiculous, but you know, they're, like, they do really try to make us get us to blame ourselves, and, you know, it, It like, we say there's either going to be, like, eco-fascism or eco-austerity, but really what we need is an eco-dictatorship uh, of the proletariat, because, you know, there may be mm-hmm. some, like, lifestyle adjustments or whatever, but, you know, the average, you know, working person, like, they're not the problem and like they're not gonna you know their lifestyle isn't really going to have to change that much uh it is it is really like the rich assholes who are you know using all the resources and uh you know we i think instead of talking like we have to go get back to scarcity almost and say like no there's not enough for you people to have 10 houses and 15 cars or whatever And, you know, a private and your own plane and a private jet. Like, no, sorry, you don't you don't need that. You don't get to have it. The world, the Earth can't handle that. Like, that is where, you know, much more of the problem is coming. And it and like and also being able to sell this stuff politically because nobody is going to, like, sign on to a program that's going to make their lives worse, you know, as wasteful as America is. Uh, I mean, there is arguably I would imagine a vision of America that doesn't require seven planets um, to be extended (laughs) towards the rest of the world. Uh, And, you know, just overall, I think the American lifestyle, like the third world is coming up and yeah, the first world might have to be brought down a little bit, but that, you know, that equalization is already happening. Uh, So, you know that like it is bad you know obviously um and like <laughs> yeah for a livable future for humanity uh some drastic changes are going to have to happen you know to our political economy but yeah. at the same time uh you know from a century wide perspective like yeah stuff like that's due anyway so it's not about being accelerationist or you know reformer or whatever like <laughs> Cataclysm, you know we're overdue for some cataclysmic events anyway so the question is do those events you know provide openings and do we have the capability to seize those openings
0: yeah and um this is what uh i I found the articles so basically um 100 companies are responsible for 71 percent of global emissions i'll put the article in the show notes but yeah basically hundred corporations are responsible for like you know almost three quarters of global carbon emissions so yeah and then the u s military like is the top like you know it all it all traces back to imperialism and capitalism and so yeah like there 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 needs to be like revolutionary system, systematic changes to to mitigate this and um you know we're 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 definitely due for it um but yeah, I mean, that's that's like pretty much. I don't really have anything no, to say about
1: That's, PCC. That, that's a good note funny. to go out on.
0: Yeah, totally. All right, then, guys. So that's it for this episode. If you like this episode, um, again, you can become a patron. $5 a month uh, to our Patreon um, gets you bonus episodes. Patreon.com slash Reels on Car Hours. Again, patreon.com slash Reels on Car Hours. Anywhere between one to four dollars a month, um, you become basically a, a, a supporter of the podcast. You don't you don't get bonus ep- episodes, but your is appreciated. But also, if you want to just you know make a one time donation um, to support the podcast and keep it going, paypalme slash real hours Again, paypalme slash real hours Also follow us at Sankar Hours on Twitter. And all that fun stuff. So yeah, if you enjoyed this free episode, definitely you know, become a patron or donate and keep keep this podcast afloat. Uh, anyway, that's it for this pod. That's it for this podcast yeah. episode. Um, yeah, we'll sign out. Keep the faith and stay dangerous. Peace.
1: Yeah.